Let us pray. Our most eternal and everlasting Father, we are thankful this evening. Thankful for your mercy and your kindness. Thankful that you have given us this high privilege to gather together to study a portion of your word. We realize that the human mind is incapable of comprehending anything that is spiritual apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So it's a request that the Holy Spirit will provide us the concentration that we need to hear precisely what you have for us this evening. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. We move to Exodus chapter 14, 29 through 31. Exodus chapter 14, verses 29 through 31. He reads, But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Now this section of Exodus chapter 14, verses 29 through 31, is concerned with the final deliverance of Israel from the power or the control of the Egyptians. The Lord began their deliverance when they marched out of Egypt. The night that the Lord killed the firstborn of the of, uh, of the Egyptians. Now this deliverance did not appear to have lasted long enough because Pharaoh and his army pursued the Israelites causing them to panic and to complain to Moses that he brought them out of Egypt to destroy them in the desert. Hence their deliverance from Egypt to them really appears to be tenuous. But God changed that by his final deliverance that leaves no doubt that the Israelites have finally been delivered from the hands of the Egyptians or from bondage in Egypt. Now this final deliverance of, the, of Israel that is described in our passage attests to the fact that God is always faithful to his word. And he acts or carries out his promise in his own way at his own time. The Lord had promised Israel's deliverance from the oppressive hands of the Egyptians when he commissioned Moses to go and be his great agent of the rescue of his people as we read in Exodus chapter 3 verses 8 through 10. Exodus chapter 3 verses 8 through 10. Exodus chapter 3 verses 8 through 10 reads, So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of 
that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now the rescue the Lord promised is his deliverance of the Israelites from bondage in the hands of the Egyptians. Now he began this rescue in a way that the Israelites might have wondered if the deliverance will come. Since the Lord began with plagues instead of immediately setting them free from the Egyptians. Now when the Lord finally moved, moved them out of Egypt, as we stated previously, as even that fact alone, or as it unfolded, they, they were surprised because of the pursuit of Israel by Pharaoh and his uh, army, and that really challenged this promise of rescuing them from Egypt. But God acted in a decisive manner to rescue his people from the hand of the Egyptian army. Now, thus then, the passage that we are about to consider is a description of the final deliverance from Egypt. But that does not mean that the Lord has fulfilled completely his promise to Israel. He had not brought them to the land he promised. But their final deliverance that is described in our passage is something that we know for certain is going to take place and we know now from history he did. So he had not brought them to that land he promised them but again their final deliverance that is described in our passage is a guarantee that he will complete his promise. Now this final deliverance as we said guaranteed that the Lord will bring Israel to the land he promised them that they will go to. Now God does not begin something and fails to finish and com- or complete it. This, of course, should remind all of us that the one who has begun our salvation will not fail to complete it by bringing us safely into heaven. We should take heart then to understand or to the declaration of the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 reads, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So be that then as you may, it is our assertion that the passage that we are about to study describes the final deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. In other words, 
The passage tells us that the Lord is faithful and so delivered Israel from the hands of the Egyptian army in a way that demonstrates his power. Now this section then of Exodus 14 verses 29 through 31 sums up the miraculous deliverance of Israel at the Red Sea. As a narrative though, this section consists of information regarding Israel walking in the middle of the sea, Red Sea, on dry land to cross to the opposite side of the sea that separates it from the land connected with Egypt. In verse 29, that is also a repeat of what was stated in verse 22. Now another information provided concerns the actual deliverance of the Israelites from the pursuing Egyptian army by drowning them in the sea. The narrative ends by describing the impact of this deliverance on the Egyptians. Consequently, the narrative may be summarized as stating that Israel's final deliverance from the Egyptians involves walking on dry seabed, deliverance from Egyptian army through the death of the soldiers and responding with fear to the Lord, trusting him and having respect for Moses. So this summary enables us then to state a message we believe the Holy Spirit wants us to derive from this passage. And that message is this. God's deliverance should lead to worship of Him. Should lead to complete trust in Him and respect for those He uses to communicate His word. Again, the message is simply God's deliverance should lead to worship of Him. Complete trust in Him and respect for those he uses to communicate his word. Now we will expand on this message by making three propositional assertions derived from the information given in the passage. But before we do, there is an important observation that we should make. The important observation is that the section of Exodus 14 verses 29 through 31 is the last clear evidence of God's promise to make a distinction between his people Israel and the Egyptians. Although such distinctions was, uh, that such distinction was not uh, stated verbally. Now three times during the plagues, the Lord that he brought on Egypt, he promised of making distinction between his people and the Egyptians. Before the plague of flies, the Lord uh, made a promise of distinction as recorded in Exodus 8 verse 23. Exodus chapter 8 verse 23. It is, I will make a distinction between my people and your people. 
This miraculous sign will occur tomorrow. Now the second time, this promise of, making, of, of distinguishing between Israel and the Egyptians was prior to execution of the plague of the livestock, as we read in, still in the Exodus chapter 9 verse 4. Exodus chapter 9 verse 4. It reads, But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt, so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. At the third time, there was a reference to the concept of God making a distinction between Israel and the Egyptians was during the announcement of the last plague the Lord brought on the Egyptians. That is the date of the firstborn as stated in Exodus 11 verse 7. Exodus 11 verse 7. It is, but among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any man or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Now that aside, we stated that the passage we are about to study is a clear evidence that God made a distinction between Israel and Egyptians. Now clearly there's no direct reference of making a distinction between Israel and the Egyptians, but that does not mean that we are wrong. The concepts of distinction the Lord made between the Israelites and the Egyptians is uh, conveyed by the conjunction but that begins verse 29. That's where we get it. That word part. Because the word but is translated from a Hebrew particle that appears several thousands of times in the Old Testament. It, it's a word that is translated and in our English versions. However, the Hebrew particle has several other usages. For example, it could be used as a marker of emphasis, in which case it may be translated indeed. But at the beginning of, verse, of Exodus 14, verse 29, it is used as a marker of contrast with the meaning but as reflected in the NIV and nearly in all our English versions. Now the context suggests that the Hebrew particle is used to set a clear contrast between what happened to the Egyptians and what happened to the Israelites. God distinguished between the two. On the part of the Egyptians, he brought destruction or death of Pharaoh and his army, while he brought deliverance from death on the part of the Israelites. Hence, although uh, there was no direct statement regarding the fact that God made a distinction between his people and the Egyptians, what transpired in the preceding section, that is Exodus uh, chapter 14, verses 26 through 28, 
stands in in sharp contrast to what is described as taking place in our present section. It is for this reason that we observe that although the Lord did not say he will make a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites during the pursuit of the Israelites by Pharaoh and his army, that that was exactly what the Lord did. So with this observation then, we proceed to consider the first assertion or proposition that we derive from this section of Exodus chapter 14 verses 29 through 31. A first proposition or assertion necessary to expound the message of Exodus 14 verse, uh, verse 29 through 31 is this. The Lord's deliverance involves display of his power. Every of his deliverance involves the display of his power. Now this assertion is derived from God's display of his power in his final deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Egyptian army. The passage that we are uh, studying begins with the result of the display of God's power that is given in the first sentence of Exodus 14 verse 29. Look at the first sentence. It says, the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground. As we alluded previously, verse 29 is really a repeat of what is given in verse 22. Now, repetition of this type is not unheard of in Hebrew narrative. Now, the implication is that the human author probably wants the reader to recognize the importance of what is stated here. That aside, the sentence, the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground is one that portrays this display of God's power. Now, Israel walked on the dry land as they crossed the Red Sea. How is that possible? Is it not because of the miraculous display of God's power that has been previously described in terms of God uh, dividing the Red Sea? In effect, the result of Israel walking through uh, the dry land is, at least the seabed in this case, is due to God's miraculous display of his power. As the psalmist later on recognized, as we may gather from Psalm 78, verses 12 and 13. Psalm 78 verses 12 and 13 It is He did miracles in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt in the region of Zoan. He divided the sea and led them through. He made the water stand like a wall. So does the sentence of Exodus 14.29 when he said the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground reminds us then of the power of God to do that which is miraculous in that 
The sea was divided in such a way that the seabed was dry enough for Ezu to walk through on a dry ground. Now to further describe the miraculous display of God's power, His power to uh, sustain the wall of water that resulted from the dividing of the Red Sea, we have a description given in the last phrase of Exodus uh, 14 verse 29 we were starting. Look at the last phrase. It, it is with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Now this phrase being a repeat of what is stated in verse 22 of Exodus 14, it is to elaborate on the miraculous display of God's power. Now as Israel walked through the seabed, they saw wall of water on both sides of the path that they were traveling in order to cross the sea. So it's inconceivable to imagine what the Israelites thought when they passed through the sea on a dry ground. They would have certainly have marveled at the power of God that divided the sea and sustained the wall of water on both sides of their path of travel. Now we also, we also should marvel at such a power. Hence, the assertion we have stated, which again is that the Lord's deliverance involves display of His power. Every of His deliverance. Now the assertion that we are uh, considering is supported by several illustrations of God's deliverance of His people in recorded in the Old Testament scripture or in the scripture as a whole. Now God's display of His power in the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the uh, Philistines is demonstrated when David killed Goliath as recorded in 4 Samuel chapter 17 verses 47 through 49. No, uh, 4 Samuel chapter 17 verses 47 through 50. 4 Samuel Chapter 17, verse 47 reads, All those gathered here, we know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord says, For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistines moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Now David recognized that it is by God's miraculous display of his power that he gives deliverance to his people. That is what, is, what he, he means when he said, It is not by sword or spear that the Lord says. 
So he believed that God would display his power so that he would kill Goliath. Now it's not really stone from David's sling that they killed Goliath. It is the display of God's power that led to the death of Goliath because God wanted to display his power in miraculous deliverance of Israel through David. Once we understand that, we recognize no matter what it is that we face, God has the ability and the power to miraculously deliver us from that. Now you take another example of the display of God's power in the deliverance of Israel. In the time of King Hezekiah, Jerusalem was threatened by the Assyrians under the leadership of Sennacherib. Now, the military success or the successes of course of uh, Sennacherib caused him to make boasts that should cause the Israelites not to trust in their God or their God's ability to deliver them from trouble. So this is what's implied in Second Kings chapter 18 verses 31 through 35. Second Kings And hold on to Second Kings. Take two more vers- uh, passages in Second Kings. Second Kings chapter 18, beginning at verse 31. It reads, Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Then every one of you will eat from his own vine and fig tree and drink water from his own cistern until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey. Choose life and not death. Now just think about what these people were hearing. They were surrounded by soldiers capable of overrunning the entire Judah, uh, Jerusalem. And they're hearing this. They choose life and not death. Do not listen to Hezekiah. For he is misleading you when he says, the Lord will deliver you. Think about that. That's what an unbeliever is saying. Why are you listening to that person telling you anything about God? You look at reality. I have surrounded you. I can destroy you in a minute. So for him to be saying that, he says, don't listen. Don't pay attention. He's lying. That's what he means by the Lord will deliver you. Then he goes on, has a God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamat and Apad? That's those he already destroyed. Where are the gods of Sevavim, Hena, and Eva? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who of all the gods of these countries 
has been able to save his land from me. How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? Because he didn't know anything about the Lord. He just thought he was one of the gods all the other nations were worshipping. Anyway, Hezekiah acknowledged the military successes of the Assyrians. But, in other words, he was, he was for real. He, he wasn't denying reality. But he recognized that his God is not like the gods of the nations that the Assyrians defeated. He knew he had defeated that he, uh, the Assyrians defeated them, but he has one thing going for him that they didn't. He served the, the supreme God, and the others didn't. Therefore, he prayed to the Lord for deliverance from the hands of the Assyrians, as we read in Second Kings chapter 19, verses 17 through 19. Second Kings Second Kings and like I said, hold on to Second Kings Verse seventeen reads It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrians have led waste these nations and their lands. Now here's the reality. He's looking at reality. This has happened. These nations have been run over by the Assyrians. So he said, it is so, Lord. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For there were no gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by men's hands. Now, O Lord, our God, Deliver us from his hand, so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Now I've said many times, really, when God's name is at stake, his person is being challenged, he will always do things that will defy imagination or explanation all the time. Because he will not allow his name to be uh, downgraded by people. Now the Lord of course responded and delivered Israel in a miraculous way that did not involve Hezekiah and his army firing a single arrow. Any short of arrows. You know, we couldn't say fire because they didn't have weapons at that time in the way we have today of but what they use arrows and bows and so on. There was not one fired. According to what we can now gather from Second Kings, you are looking at chapter 19, look at verse 35 and 36. Verses 35 and 36. It is, that night, the angel of the Lord went out. The angel of the Lord here refers to the Lord Jesus Christ before his incarnation. So he said, that night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, 
there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. I was wondering, well, think about when he was running back. Did he really occur to him? The God of Israel is the supreme God. That's why what happened to him has happened to him. Or the eye like many of us, we are sick. Whenever I associate our sickness with being disobedient to God or ignoring him, or something else happens, or do we ever really associate it with our not doing what the Bible tells us to do? Anyway, there's no other possible explanation, though, that 185,000 soldiers died overnight, other than the miraculous display of God's power. So, when God displayed his power, Israel, in the time of King Hezekiah, was delivered. Thus, the truth that the Lord's deliverance involves the miraculous display of his power is confirmed with the illustration I've given you from the Old Testament scriptures. When we come to the New Testament, we also have examples of God's deliverance involving display of his power. Now the rescue of Peter from prison was a result of God's display of his miraculous power by sending an angel to rescue Peter as we read in, second, in, in, sorry, in Acts chapter 12 verses 6 to 11. Acts chapter 12 verses 6 to 11. Acts chapter 12 verses 6 through 11. It is the night before Herod was to bring him to trial. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Now, I want you to picture what is taking place here. Herod. And the, the, the religious leaders, they've known they, were, they had put some of their apostles in prison. The prison everywhere was locked and they came out. They didn't know what. So this time they said, we're not going to take chance. That's really what it is. So not only did he uh, put chains on Peter, well, I imagine that he must have been tied to others, the soldiers sitting, sleeping between him. I mean that he's still slipping uh, between so that they made sure he didn't escape. There was no way for him to escape. Well, but then what they didn't count is the miraculous display of God's power. So verse 7 says, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chain fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea 
that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. Now that is a miraculous display of God's power in order to free uh, Peter from the jail. Now the deliverance of Apostle Paul and Silas from the Philippian jail is an example of the display of God's miraculous display of his power that, he, that the Lord caused an earthquake that led to their eventual release and the salvation of the Philippian jailer as we read in Acts chapter 16 verses 25 through 32. Acts chapter 16 verses 25 through 32. It is about midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chain came loose. Now, this is something miraculous. In, first of all, when uh, the prison opens and the, the prisoners found that they were no longer shackled, what do you think they would do? Find a way to run away. But they didn't. So this is, that's part of that miraculous display of God's power. Verse 27 says, The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, because he thought the prisoners had escaped. That's what we would expect. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. Why are they all there? Because of God's miraculous display of his power. Otherwise, once there's chains and they came loose, they would all be making (laughs) a way to run away. But that didn't happen. Verse 29 says, The jailer called for lies, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Silas, what must I do to be saved? They reply, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. So the examples then of the deliverance that we have cited involved physical deliverance of God that demonstrated the display of his power miraculously. However, the greatest 
display of God's power in terms of deliverance concerns our eternal salvation. Our salvation involved the Son of God entering the world through miraculous power of God in virgin pregnancy and consequent birth. Now this was followed by the display of God's power in the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ as we read for example in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 14 and 15. First Corinthians chapter 6 verses 14 and 15. It is by his power God raised the Lord from the dead. That is the miracle of all miracles. And he will, will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Hence then, it is indeed a truthful principle that the Lord's deliverance involves display of his power. So, you should expect that when you face a situation that requires deliverance by the Lord, that he will do so by displaying his miraculous power. So this brings us then to the second proposition of the message that we're considering. A second proposition of the message of our passage of study of Exodus 14 verses 29 through 31 is that the Lord's deliverance involves Rescuing the believer from the believer's enemy and the defeat of the enemy. Again, that the Lord's deliverance involves rescuing the believer from the believer's enemy and the defeat of the enemy. So there are two elements to this proposition. The first part, deliverance of the believer from the enemy, and the second. The defeat of the enemy. Those are the two elements. Now the first element of this assertion is really derived from the first clause of Exodus 14 verse 30 that we started. Look at the first clause. It is that the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. Now this clause provides the result of the Lord dividing the Red Sea and Israel passing through it on a dry ground. Now, see, the reason we say this is because the Hebrew line begins with that Hebrew particle that is not translated in our passage in an IV and many other of our English versions, but the particle is often translated and in English. However, as we said many times, the particle has several other usages. In our passage, it is used to introduce the result of the Lord dividing the Red Sea so that Israel passed through it on a dry ground 
so that the word may be translated so, therefore, or does. This has reflected in some of our English versions such as the New American Standard Bible or the English Standard Version or the New English Translation. The New American Standard Bible and the English Standard Version use the word does to begin this clause. While the New English Translation use the word so in their translation. Hence, the beginning particle used in a clause tells us that the clause is used to express result of miraculous display of God's power. Now God displayed his power over the sea and the result was the deliverance of the Israelites as in the clause that we're looking at. We say, that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. Now the phrase that day refers to the day that God of Israel delivered them or his covenant people from the Egyptian army that you know were in pursuit of the Israelites. Now of course we use the phrase God of Israel because the word Lord we have here because it said that day the Lord that word Lord is translated from a Hebrew word that is often actually Yahweh, that's the way it's translated, which of course is the name of God that God gave to Israelites through Moses for identifying him. So that really, truly speaking, when we want to identify the God that spoke, uh, spoke to uh, Moses or identified himself to the Israelites, we should really just say Yahweh. Lord is, you know, I know I've told you it's capitalized in the Old Testament, so you know it's referring to Yahweh. But that, when it talks about his name, can translate his name is Yahweh. That's the name the, the Lord wants to be identified by the Israelite Yahweh. So the idea of Lord is a modern thing. Uh, they trace it to somebody around the 16th century or somewhere. But anyway, the real thing is, if we really want to be correct, when we want to identify the Lord, we just say, Yahweh. That is his name. That's the name he said, call me by this name, Yahweh. That's his name. Anyway, of course we have previously shown though that this God of Israel is the Lord Jesus Christ prior to his incarnation. Be that then as he may, the fact is that the Lord delivered Israel as in the sentence of Exodus 14 verse 30. Again it reads, the Lord, or Yahweh, saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. The word saved here is translated from a Hebrew word whose root meaning implies bringing help to people in the midst of their trouble rather than rescuing them from it. Now the, the word in the Hebrew form used in our passage means to help, to save, or to come to one's aid. So the word is used predominantly with God saving 
his covenant people from physical dangers or from their enemies as the word is used to describe Saul's function of delivering Israel from their enemies after he was anointed the king of Israel in accordance to God's word to prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 9 verse 16. For Samuel, for Samuel chapter nine, verse sixteen, it is about this tomorrow. I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, anoint him leader. Over my people, he will deliver. That's a Hebrew. He will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked upon my people, for their cry has reached me. Now, the word is also used of God saving from moral troubles, as it is used for his future deliverance of his covenant people from sinful conduct. In Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 23. Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 23. He reads, Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 23 reads, They will no longer defile themselves with their idols and vile images or with any of their offenses. For I will save them. That's a Hebrew word for sure. But here is for deliverance from morals. So he says, I will save them from all their sinful backsliding. And I will cleanse them. They will be my people. And I will be their God. Now this aside. When the word is used of humans. The sense. Is quite often that of helping. Although. The word may also be used. By a human in prayer to God. As the psalmist did. In Psalm chapter 12 verse 1. Psalms chapter 12, verse 1. Psalms chapter 12, verse 1 reads, Help, Lord, for the godly are no more. The faithful have vanished from among men. So here, the word is translated, help. In our passage of Exodus 14, verse 30, though, the sense of the word is to save from destruction or from harm. Hence, the God of Israel saved them from the harm the Egyptian army had intended to bring on them. Now the harm the Egyptian army intended to bring on the Israelites 
is not so much as to kill them as it is to return them to slavery or to resubject them to their control as that's really what is meant in the phrase of Exodus 14 verse 30 where we are starting it says the hands of the Egyptians the hands of the Egyptians now the word hand here is translated from a uh, a Hebrew word that literally may refer to finger as a digit of the hand as the word is used to describe where Pharaoh's signet ring was placed on Joseph in Genesis chapter 41 verse 42 Genesis 41 verse 42 It is Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger now that word finger here is a Hebrew word yad that also means hand. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. Again the phrase Joseph's finger is literally his hand. But a ring is worn on the finger. And so the Hebrew word properly means finger in this particular context. Now the word no doubt literally means hand. That is that part of the human body from the upper wrists to the tip of the fingers as part of the body the angels that uh, came to destroy Sodom grabbed as they led Lot and his family away from Sodom before his destruction as stated in Genesis chapter 19 verse 16. Genesis Genesis chapter 19 verse 16 reads When he hesitated the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city for the Lord was merciful to them now, figuratively, our word can mean control, as the word is used to describe uh, David's capture of certain areas, so he, they, to bring them under control. And I'm not going to read it, but you can jot it down in Second Samuel chapter eight, verse three. Anyway, the phrase may also simply mean power, as it is used then to describe the power of the Lord that Prophet Elijah. Experience in First Kings chapter eighteen verse forty six. First Kings First Kings chapter eighteen verse forty six reads To the power of the Lord came upon Elijah. And tucking in his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. I mean, he was so empowered, he had to run that fast 
and run faster than a horse. That's it's not ordinary, and it's not like it's just within a, a few hundred years. No, some distance. That's the empowerment. So when God displays His power, anything is possible. Anyway, so the phrase here, the power of the Lord, is literally the hand of Yahweh. Now, in our passage of Exodus 14, verse 13, the Hebrew word is used either in the sense of control or power. That is to come under the, the controlling influence of the Egyptians, implying a return to bondage. Hence, we know that the Israelite, I mean the Egyptians, their purpose is not to kill them up, but bring them back. So in other words, really, the Lord saved Israel from being captured by the Egyptian army so as to return them as slaves. Hence, the first element then of the second uh, proposition which is that the Lord's deliverance involves rescuing the believer from the enemy's uh, hand and the defeat of the enemy is verified. More so, of the, in this case, deliverance from the enemy's hand. So the Lord rescued Israel from being returned to bondage in Egypt. Now, as He delivered Israel from returning to bondage in Egypt, He has also provided us the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to keep us from being continually enslaved by sin. See, the worst enslavement is sin. There's no enslavement greater than that. That is why our world is in a mess. Because people are enslaved by sin. But when you are delivered, once you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is there to empower you not to return back to slavery. So anyway, we'll continue with the second proposition really in our next study. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will challenge us so that we will come to know that you have such great power and that you can miraculously deliver us in whatever we face and also to recognize that you have empowered us never to be enslaved by enemy who tries to enslave us through sin. Grant us the ability to recognize this. This is our request in Christ's name. Amen.